is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is a joy to be with you today. Oh boy, we got a lot to talk about. There is going to be a rally for peace for ending the war in Ukraine on Saturday in Washington, D.C. What's unique about this is that Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich will be the keynoters, they'll be the conveners. The right and the left are coming together to end this war. What do you think about that? It'll be very interesting. And then, of course, with the ending of the with the declaration that the pandemic is over, although COVID is here with us, as is RSV and, and flu, just so many things are here with us. What does that mean? It's really an economic decision, everybody. I'm going to be talking with John Nichols about that. John Nichols' book, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, goes right to this. Because now with the ending of the of this of the declaration of the pandemic, of this emergency. Now the cost is going to be shifted away from the government, which paid for the research that gave us these vaccines and these medicines, to us. Now we're going to have to pay for the testing. Now we're going to have to pay for the medicines, while some corporations are raising the prices of these medicines by 4,000%. Yeah, so we got to talk about that today. What does this mean, and what should we be doing in order to um, protect ourselves, right? And, um, of course, the shooting at at Michigan State University. What happened? And it was with a handgun this time. It was with a handgun this time. So, you know, I was late and saw it. I said, well, wait a minute. Had to change things around. We were going to talk about the Trump indictment, the moving, perhaps those indictments. We'll get to that another day. But today we're going to talk about mass shootings. We've had more mass shootings than we've had days in the year. What's going on? Dr. King many years ago said that the bombs we drop overseas will explode at home. I think we really need to understand just how violent a culture we are. I love America. I'm American. I'm American to my core. That having been said, as an American, I engage in critique of America to make us better. Every time I see my mother, she is she, well, before I leave her, she'll tell me something that I need to do better or something that I'm doing wrong today. And I appreciate that because my mother loves me and wants me to be correct. And that is what we have to do in order to be, in order to help our country to grow. And I'm really, really look at this thing, everybody. So I can look at why all of this on what is going on and you know and i think that they need to name these shooters don't act like they are just cut flowers who came out of nowhere we need to know who they are and what their backgrounds are what what was the environment that shaped everybody now don't play these games with us we need to know who they are you tell us you tell us who the neighborhood robber is or can't you tell us who the neighborhood murderer is 773-763-9278. I'm Santita Jackson, coming to you from WCPT, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. We've got a lot to talk about today, everybody, so let's get right to it. Let's get right to it in Chicago. It is positively all me today, 51 degrees. <laughs> Excuse me, scattered showers. 
Minneapolis, St. Paul, 41 degrees and rain. No snow. What? In February? Oh, wow. I'll take it. It's in the NBA. The Timberwolves, 124. The Mavericks, 121. The Magic, 100. The Bulls, 91. In the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Canadiens. And the Panthers, 2. The Wild, 1. Everybody, Everyone, lest I forget, happy Valentine's Day to you, 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 and you, everybody. At least three people were killed and five of us critically wounded. Excuse me, in a mass shooting at Michigan State University on Monday night, a 43-year-old man identified as the suspect had no affiliation with the school. Police said during a press conference early this morning, the gunman opened fire at two campus locations. Turning the university where over 19,000 students live into a crime scene and forcing terrified students to hide as hundreds of officers in tactical gear swarmed the school within minutes. Unlike what happened in Uvalde, they jumped on that school immediately. Boy, oh boy, we're going to be talking about that at the bottom of the hour. Why do you think this keeps happening in the United States, everybody? Call me, 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. The unidentified flying object shot down in Canadian airspace on Saturday appeared to be a small metallic balloon with a tethered payload below it, according to Pentagon, to a Pentagon memo sent to lawmakers on Monday. The object also crossed near, quote, sensitive U.S. sites before it was shot down, the memo explained. These are the first official details from the Pentagon on the object shot down in recent days. What is going on, everybody? Do you think that there's life out there? Of course there is, at least in my opinion, and my opinion is as weighted as yours. And some people believe that we're the only beings in the universe. But is that what this is? And why aren't we talking about what's happening closer to home in Palestine, Ohio? Animals are already dying, everybody. That's right. This train derailment is releasing dangerous toxins into the air. And people reporting that their animals are dying. That's right. That was in the New York Post um, yesterday. And we need to talk about these environmental disasters. This is shaping up to be one of the worst environmental disasters um, maybe in modern American history. That's right. Pay attention to what is happening in Palestine, Ohio. Animals, according to this report, are falling sick and dying near the site of a hellish Ohio train derailment last Friday, which released toxic chemicals into the air, and they're still there. The fires, the, t- the toxic fires are still burning, everybody. So while we're looking up in the sky at UFOs, unidentified flying objects, and all of that, that's important. We need to find out what's going on because it's impacting our people, our American citizens in Ohio, and only heaven knows elsewhere because, you know, air does what um, it travels. Oh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. I've got Dr. Excuse me, Reverend Jeanette Wilson. And I said, you know, let me just have a little conversation with her this morning. Just for about three, four minutes on the good news. She's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour as we talk with Attorney Daryl Jones and Attorney Aaron Connolly. We'll switch up the topic a bit because, you know, you know, this Michigan State shooting, I found out about rather late last night, um, Reverend Wilson. But we'll be talking about that at the bottom. But it is Valentine's Day. And I was thinking, Reverend Wilson, about love and when you're in relationship and how it requires reciprocity. And it could be a romantic relationship, platonic. It can be a family relationship, whatever it is. And many of us are not willing 
uh, reverend to give what it is that we say that we want. I was struck at many of these debates, including our own, our, our mayoral forum this weekend, you know, we have a real thing about wanting and needing respect, and I understand that. I really do. But what was interesting to me was the booing. I said, wait, wait, wait. If you were sitting on the stage, you wouldn't want that. And we already told you we're not doing that here. And I said, you know, and that's why my comments were directed in a way not to insult anyone, because I didn't want anyone to feel disrespected or hurt. But I said, you know, we have to give what it is that we say we want. Um, the healthy things anyway. If you want respect, give it. Even if you don't get it back, give it. Do the right thing. But what is love? You're a minister of the gospel. Uh, In a couple of minutes, can you tell us what love is and what the significance of this holiday is? Well, the significance of the holiday is a marketing tool used by the United States and even around the world to increase shopping, to increase uh, giving. more of our consumer, it's a consumer uh, tool, because most people uh, don't know what love is. They think love is lust, and they think love is, well, you didn't give me flowers today. Well, that's not really what God intends us to think about when we think about love. One, it's an action. Love is demonstrated uh, when a parent sacrifices things personally so that their children might eat or that their children might have clothes, uh, coats to wear. Um, The sacrifices that one makes uh, for a friend. You know, the time you spend with a friend by one's bedside reading to them because they can't read. Uh, because they're too sick, or the times that you uh, spend with uh, as a caregiver uh, for someone that's not even a member of your family, but for somebody that needs that kind of support. Maybe it's a member of the church, maybe it's uh, a, a classmate, but not necessarily biological. Love is not tied to biology. It is tied to an intentionality by someone who says, I care. And love can be expressed uh, even uh, from politicians who are elected to office. They demonstrate love by making sure that if they're an alderman, a mayor, or a state representative, they move uh, in their particular positions in government in a manner that shows they love the people that elected them by passing uh, humane legislation. You know, you show love in a multiplicity of ways, but it's not uh, its not just a word. It's not just buying a, getting a card. That's not how you express love. Love is saying things to people that they need to hear, as your mother did, even though you don't want to hear that. Love is caring. Love is sharing what you have. Sometimes... Uh, not because you have too much, but the other person has too little. Love is a fruit Amen. of the Spirit. It's, it's a character of God. God loves us unconditional, even when we don't follow anything God told us to do. God yet keeps us in the midst of it all. That's love. And that's why I wanted you here on Valentine's Day, because I felt that we needed to hear about love from that mature perspective. As I watch my parents 
grow old. Praise God. Something that I, in my wildest imaginings, because you've known me, oh my goodness, since I was a teenager. Um, a brilliant teenager, as a matter of fact. Chemistry major. Y'all think Santita started in media. She majored in science. Oh, my gosh. Well, maybe that's why I really, I look at, and I was recruited to school to do math. And and I'm a musician, but music is math. But what, what we do is, you know, what, whatever you put into the equation, you just have to obey the equal sign because you, you, the yield is the yield. And that's why, you know, my yeah. politics are what they are. I'm like, but, you know, when I look at my parents now, I see love. Um, I remember when my mother's mother became very ill at 87. She had multiple strokes. And many people would have given up on her. But my father did not. He said, we were, without, without even saying it, spared no expense to save her life. It gave her three or four more years. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I see my mother. Yeah. I saw my mother going to take care of his mother, just looking in in South Carolina. I saw Mrs. Yeah, Dr. Camille Cosby do that when her husband, Dr. Bill Cosby, she said she noticed her mother-in-law was just a little slow. Her speech wasn't impaired, but she was a little slow this particular day. And Mrs. Cosby, the elder, had had a stroke. It was something that, you know, and I just think that we just really need to understand what love really is. You know, when I see her parents, I see the sweetness between them um, after after 61 years. And when my father and mother had COVID, my father kept asking, how is your mother doing? They were in adjoining rooms, but they could not, because of COVID, be in the same room. But all he wanted to do, know was how she was. How is she? How is she? Yeah. And so, just very quickly, because I've got to bring on Dr. Knighton, but your final thought. Well, the, the interesting thing, when you get married, you know, you take these vows and say, in sickness and in health, you don't think about in sickness. What do you do? I had to make a medical decision for my husband because he could not speak. Uh, He had a stroke and he couldn't talk. So I had to decide for him. And he's looking at me in that emergency room whether or not he would have this procedure that would relieve him of of the problems that he was experiencing. And that was when I understood the vow I had made, you know, some 25 years prior never thinking that I would end up having to be that person for him. And that's what love is. And and it's like you now stand in a position um, for the person to make a decision that they normally would make for themselves. And and you got to do that in their best interest. That's love. Unconditionally. In that vein, let me bring on Dr. Shanina Knighton, infection preventionist. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant brilliant young woman. Um, and I know this is not what we're going to talk about, but you know, feeling unloved can lower you. I'm sure it depresses your immune system. It would make you sick. You know, feeling support when you are ill and feeling supported throughout your life, I'm sure that has an impact upon your health, Dr. Knighton. Yes, good morning. I think it depends on what type of feeling. <laughs> 
And so, like, honestly, it's like a lot of underlying stuff there, Santita. And I think the biggest thing that I can continue to think about is when we talk about feelings, like, what are those feelings doing to the immune system? And so a lot of times, like, if let's say we are feeling some sort of grief, then that stress. If we are thinking about, you know, feeling down because of our finances, that's because you're about, like, how you going to pay bills. So I think the it still comes down to what is it doing to the body, and it's still promoting stress. And when the body is in a stressed state, it's in a defensive mode because it's not at rest. Uh, when you are in, you know, distress, when you are distressed, that promotes your body to be in a state of where it is not at its best to be able to heal, to be able to function. That's why people always say take care of yourself before you take care of others because how many times have you been stressed out? You forget to eat. Um, You might not be sleeping well. You may not be eating correctly. You may not be functioning correctly. These are all things that happen when you are not feeling well, but that not feeling well because you are having certain feelings can influence you. They talk about good stress and they talk about bad stress. Those are very influential. So when you are feeling happy, when you are feeling excited, you know, what does that do? Like what kind of hormones do they release? When you are feeling sad, when you are not feeling okay, what kind of hormones are released in that manner? We're talking about a body that's made up of many chemicals that our bodies are a part of a chemical reaction. So if you're feeling bad, if things are happening that's bad, then it makes it very hard for your body to be in its best state. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Really, really, really. And happy Valentine's Day to you, Dr. Knighton. You are my baby sister, and I just love you. I just hope you know that and hope you feel that with every fiber of your being. And, uh, and Santita, let's, let's, um, I just want to take a moment to just help our listeners um, just pray for Dr. Dev's old stumping ground at um, Michigan State University, as well as, you know, um, our colleagues that are still there for the NIS project um, because it's been yesterday. Well, you know, in fact, we're talking about that at the bottom of the hour. You can stay with us for a while because, in fact, um, I'm praying for you in, in Ohio because what's happening in Palestine, Ohio, is not getting the attention that it needs. Um, animals are sick and they are dying. One can only imagine the impact that this train derailment with all of these toxins that are that have spilled into this town and that have spilled that have shot into the air. What it's going to do to people long term. Animals are sick and dying. This happened on Friday. Animals start, got, got sick and started dying almost immediately. Yeah. Corporate media report that. That was in the New York Post. So what's going on in Palestine, Ohio? And we need to talk about that. You know, what happens? I mean, you, should people evacuate? Of course they should, but when you're poor, where do you go? When you're walking fast, where do you go? Where do you go? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they need to be getting people out of there, and make and, and making sure that they are all right once once they are one and take them someplace decent where they can eat well and figure it out because they can't go back to Palestine, Ohio for a while. It's not safe. 
I could love the Santita Jackson show on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to keep talking about this on the Santita Jackson show right during the break. That's why you need to be on YouTube on the Santita Jackson show YouTube page and the Santita Jackson and Friends page. Love you, everybody. Be back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Got a lot to talk about. Tomorrow we will be talking about Palestine, Ohio, and that environmental disaster, which is proving to be one of the worst of the modern era. It needs to get more publicity, but I tell you what, I'm not going to wait on that. We're going to talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show and what you should do when you have an environmental disaster in your neighborhood. Please, to the south of Chicago, you this is plain country, okay? That is with the flatlands. This is what we, because we grow food here. But when you go just to the south suburbs, you see all of these hills and whatnot. Those are toxic dumps. They just put grass on top of it, everybody. Now, haven't you seen those little pipes with the fire coming out? Yeah, you ought to be alarmed. My uncle lived out on, in one of those places on the golf course, and he died of cancer very young. It's a horrible thing. Horrible. You remember my Uncle George? Robin, yes. my father's brother. I mean, it was horrible. And, when I saw, and he, was, he lived in a cancer cluster. And my Aunt Carolyn is still out there. I am like, oh, my gosh. It just, it makes, I was like, and my, and my uncle soldiered on. I mean, they kept to cut out his tongue, took out the roof of his mouth. He was in tremendous pain, and he kept going to work. But he lived in a cancer cluster, and it was horrible. And it just infuriates me that we don't talk about these things. Because working class and poor people and some middle, middle class people live in these places. No, 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 no. We ought to have more regard for ourselves and each other than that. The Valentine edition of the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, 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 we've got Chappelle. Do we have Chappelle? Chappelle, how you doing, girl? Good morning, Santita, and thank you so much for having me today. I wanted to talk about our annual gala for the Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation that's going to be held on March 3rd, 2023 at the JLM Community Center, 2622 West Jackson. So we're asking everyone to come out and support this great event. All of the funds raised go to support our programs, including our college uh, scholarship funds, and it helps us to send uh, needy kids to school who otherwise wouldn't be able to attend. So we're trying to raise the money right now, Santita, and we're asking everyone to go to www.copelandmemorial.com. That's www.copelandmemorial.com to purchase a ticket. If you can't purchase a ticket, we're asking everyone to consider sponsoring a family who has lost a child to gun violence in Chicago. So please visit www.copelandmemorial.com. Thank you so much, Santita. Blessings to you, Chappelle. Thank you so much, everybody. March 3rd, be there, everybody. Michigan State University swarmed with police, ambulances, and fear on Monday night. Of course, we know Michigan State, the great Magic Johnson, went there. And, uh, of course, we got Dr. Deb. Dr. Deb, Dr. Deborah Furholden, she was a dean there. Um, and we still do work with Michigan State University. It's just heartbreaking to see what they're going through. Um, that there was an active shooter on the campus killed at least three people and frightened everyone to death. 
what is happening here, everybody? We've had more mass shootings in the United States than we have had days in the year. What's happening? What's happening? And on this campus of 19,000 people, 19,000, it's a little city, East Lansing, Michigan, not Lansing, but East Lansing, Michigan. So what is going on? Why are we having all these mass shootings? You know, Dr. King said that uh, the bombs that we drop overseas will explode at home. And we've had other people who said, you know, we're paying, you know, there's a peace dividend and there's a war dividend, too. Yeah, I'm saying that at the top of the hour, we're going to be talking about people on the right and the left who are joining forces to end the war in Ukraine, to demand peace talks and end this. But we need to talk about that, because when I heard these students, Reverend Jeanette Wilson and Attorney Aaron Connolly and Attorney Daryl Jones, talk about their fear, I said they sound like the people in Syria when they're dealing with war. They sound like... Everybody else I know who has lived in a war zone, that's what's happened here in the United States. So let's talk about that, everybody. Let's talk about that right now. What happened at Michigan State and why? Attorney Daryl Jones, Attorney Aaron Connolly, and, of course, Reverend Jeanette Wilson. Let me start with you, Attorney Daryl Jones. What is going on here? 19,000 people. Someone walked in with a handgun, a 43-year-old. I want to know the man's name, and I want to know his background, too. Because I just think this is ridiculous that we do not know who this person is. We don't know his background. But you know what? Okay, I got it. What is happening? It's just It's like every other day here. We've had more mass shootings, Attorney Jones, than we have had days in the year. And happy Valentine's Day to you, my sweet. Well, thank you so much, Santita, and happy Valentine's Day to you as well. I tell you, uh, this is uh, not the way you want to start your Valentine's Day. It's finding out about the shootings and the killings that have gone on on Michigan State's campus. You know, it, it, it's a scary thing. I, I cannot imagine being one of the you know tens of thousands of students there that attends, and you have what, some 400 buildings throughout uh, that make up Michigan State's campus, and you learn of an active shooter that's on campus around eight or eight thirty in the evening. You know, the shooter goes into uh, Berkey Hall, one of the academic centers there, and and and, uh, and and is actively shooting and going through rooms. You also have them going over to the student union where. Most most of the students congregate to, you know, to, to just be together for food or, or for whatever purpose. So you, you have this active shooter, shooter that's gone into these two places early in the evening hours. So if you're one of those students that's at Michigan State University, you receive the text telling you to, to shelter in place wherever you are. Don't go outside. Lock yourself in. It's just a, a, a horrific situation. But unfortunately, it's a situation that we hear way too much in the United States. You know, we have that happen on Michigan State. We've had other massive uh, shootings that are occurring on schools around the country. Yet this is just a horrible situation. You know, the suspect is, is ultimately caught you know, off campus uh, and, and kills himself. And they find you know, more cartridges and magazines that could have been used to, to do more shootings as well as an additional weapon. So there's a lot that's beginning to unfold. And, and we're learning about this situation. You know, we, we have people, because of our, our social media, we have people that were even tracking the shooter and could see him walking away from the campus down the highway. Uh, uh, and they were, you know, tracking him and, and have him on a lot of the social media. So there's a lot that's beginning to, to unfold here. But one thing is clear. Uh, you know, Michigan is one of those states 
where when it comes to the gun laws uh, that you know they do require background checks, but they also have these open carries without permits. And so I think that now that the legislature in the state of Michigan uh, is in the hand of the Democrats, it's a trifecta, the governor and the two branches, uh, legislative branches are all Democrats. They can now make decisions with regards to stri- uh, making gun control laws stricter in Michigan. Will it stop this type of shooting? We don't know the answer to that. But what we do know is that right now our hearts and our you know love has got to go out to the parents and to the students that are at Michigan State University, Santita. Absolutely. Everybody call us at 773-763-9278. I mean, my sister got her Ph.D. there, and I have to tell you, I just, oh, I could, I just, I said, wow, what if she was still there? I mean, my heart breaks if I, if I had, I mean, just, it's not, you know, they're all our children. What? And they're all, our, they're all our colleagues. They're all our friends who are on that campus with someone running around with a gun shooting people. We don't even know why. And that's why I'd like to know who this 43-year-old man was. You know, he didn't kill anonymously. He killed specific people. He might not. I don't know. I don't know what was on his mind, but I'd like to know his background. I think it's important for us to know as much as we can. Please, I get profiled walking into a store. Why can't I get a profile on, on a neighborhood killer? Aaron Connolly, what do you make of this? We've had more mass shootings than we've had days in 2023. Yeah, it's um, it, it's difficult to to get these news alerts day after day, and it really is every single day. It's not it's not a joke, and you know I everyone on this show and you know very well, Santita, our community where I live in Highland Park was impacted by a mass shooting yeah. last year, and it's we still see the impact of that when the kids have to do the the shooter drills, and these are actual trainings that that small children are going through and that the children are leading the adults in crisis situations because they have this training right this this is what we're hearing from some of these these crisis situations and the unfortunate thing is these students at Michigan State University are prepared for situations like this they're the a generation that has grown up seeing these headlines living in fear practicing for this to happen and this is what we've chosen to offer our children in this country is living in fear and training them for combat instead of making common sense gun laws that restrict folks. Like you said, background checks are a first step. But again, when it's, it, people are able to carry weapons of war around in public without any any sort of um, additional check, that, that's a problem, right? And Michigan has had a history of, um, we'll say, independence and libertarianism with regards to the Second Amendment. We've seen, you know, amateur militias pop up in certain areas of the state of Michigan. And Michigan State, you know, I grew up in Michigan outside of Detroit, and many of my friends went to Michigan State University. And it takes over Lansing, Michigan, right? It's a very open campus. These large universities are. They're part of the city. They really are the city in many ways. And and there's not, it's not a secure environment. It's an open uh, learning environment, right? You're not, so we can't be in a society that is closing places like that down. But at the same time, what else can we do to feel safe? What, where, how do we keep waking up and reading these headlines and allowing our actual laws to enable it, right? We are now enablers. 
Well, you know, it's not, we don't feel safe. We feel restricted. No one feels safe. And I, you know, and I think it's a, it's a culture deep issue because if you take all the guns, people are going to find a reason to kill. I mean, Cain's label without a gun. I, you know, I think we've got to penetrate more deeply in terms of our thinking, Reverend Wilson, um, because there's a culture of, 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 of violence, of death that's coursing through the culture. Um, that we've all survived. And, you know, that's why Dr. Sheen said, if I'm the last person standing in the room, I am going to stick with nonviolence. I think uh, there's several things. Uh, These open campuses, our children are no longer safe because there's no screening of who comes and goes. I know that one of our HBCUs, Hampton, has a closed campus. And, you know, so it's not as open to the community as the Michigan State campus was. And so schools are now going to have to look at different safety protocols because of uh, this attitude that people have. I can I can carry and I can uh, deal with my pain any, any way I want. We don't know why this gunman decided to sh- randomly shoot 10 people and killed, at this point, three have died and, and five are in the hospital. We don't know what happened. He shot himself, so there's no way to communicate with him to get the backstory. But the fact that the campus was open uh, to the community, you just don't know who's on the campus. And so as a parent, I would be just really worried about sending my child away to college to live on campus or even to live off campus, but certainly not to live on campus because there's it's, it's very few restrictions. And to have a Congress that refuses to pass uh, any laws that would begin to restrict this gun-toting uh, society that we've created in America is just insane. And we keep voting them back into office. No other country has, has this kind of uh, atmosphere. Uh, and as I listened to, I was listening to Morning Joe this morning, and they're sitting on their talk. One man was uh, uh, way too early. He was talking about how he was he was trained to shoot a gun at 12 years old. What is that all about? It was not hunting. He wasn't a you know he wasn't a farmer, and they were going out to the North Forty to get something to eat. Just why do you need a 12 year old to have a gun? And so th- this gun culture in America is amazing, and it is is disastrous. Us, our children now do live in war zones. We look at Ukraine as far away. We are in effect in our neighborhoods now on uh, college campuses, on high school and elementary school campuses. These are war zones. Children have to have uh, emergency drills. What happens when a, a shoot an active shooter enters our building? What do you do? You have to tell five year olds how to how to protect themselves, hide in the, the coat closet, all kinds of things that we never had to do before when I grew up. We didn't have this. So well, you know, I, I mean, I, you know what you know what this takes me, but you know what this takes me to because I think that it's it's going to take legislation, but it's going to take more than that. It's going to take a change. We need a change of mind, a change in the culture. And I only say that because when you talk, absolutely, because I talked to Rena Evers, Medgar Evers' daughter, and I guess it was kind of gallows humor because she and I have grown up with 
and she actually had her nightmare come to pass. I did not. That is having our fathers assassinated, but we were all prepared for it, right? And it was like we were comparing notes. It was the first time we met. We met as adults, and we were talking about all the things that we would do, you know, if there was a bomb threat at the house, how, you know, how you had to run, grab Jackie, Johnny, Yusuf, Jesse, let's go, let's go, we gotta go, 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 go. Kim Whitley, the comedian, when she came over to our house, we had known Kim since we were very young teenagers. And Kim said, I was riding down the street because Mr. John Bustamante, attorney John Bustamante, as who you remember, who was Dr. King's lawyer, who became our family lawyer. Um, they she'd heard so much about how much fun they had when they came to Chicago. She said, I can't wait to come to Chicago. And because she was down the street from the Bustamante. So she came in and she said, as we turned down your street, I saw these flashing lights. <laughs> and then as we got closer, I saw there were police cars. And I saw your, I saw some people standing out on the street, standing out on the street. And I realized that's your family. You all had to run out the house. Because somebody is threatening to bomb it. Then when I talked to Rena Everett, we talked about how her father trained her and her brothers as babies, really, at five and six and seven, to drop, tuck, and roll. So the night that he was killed, they heard the pop, 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 the, the, the guns. They dropped, they tucked, they rolled, and they inched their way to the door as he's trying, bleeding to death, having been shot to death. Um, trying to get into the house. I'm saying, I'm just trying to make the point that Dr. King said that the bombs we drop overseas will explode at home. And other people are making that connection too. And if we don't make that connection, I think that all the laws in the world are not really going to matter. If the, You know, it's just like a contract. You know that as, as lawyers, all of you, contracts don't matter if someone has poor and has bad intentions. People gonna break the contract. Now, with the contract, I can sue you. But if you gonna, you have a heart to violate, you won't do that. This is this is crazy. But at least well, the police responded, unlike what they did in Uvalde. First, you uh, attorney, uh, uh, Reverend Wilson, who's who's an attorney, and uh, Attorney Connolly. I'm going to wrap it up with, with of course, Attorney Jones. Where do we go from here? Well, I, I think, as you say, we have to change our attitudes, and that has to be taught at home. It has to be taught in schools. We have to teach nonviolent conflict resolution. That has to be taught across. That's what Dr. King lived by. That's what he told us we had to live by, nonviolent conflict resolution. And there's some steps to that without responding every time someone does something you don't like. You just don't respond in a violent manner. That starts with your mental state. How do you feel about that person? These kids are bullying uh, on TikTok and online, all of that is a, is a heart of anger and violence that is boiling up in our children. And so much of this violence is also the bullying that, that young people uh, are beginning to feel. The other thing is we have to decide as a culture to reinstitute mental health uh Community mental health centers have to be available to help people. There is some indication that the guy that did the shooting has some 
some mental health issues that had not been addressed properly. And we have a lot of that on the street now. So we have to look at that level of, of treatment. But we do need uh, legislation, and we need to train our uh, police officers to act, react differently as well. Where do we go from here? I do not like waking up to this kind of news or going to bed to it. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> just go to bed to it, wake up to it. I just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and you've got... I mean, you've got, you've got a young son. I mean, we saw from Uvalde, nobody is safe. Nobody. But, and that's, yeah. that's a deep problem in, in the United States. And we, we have to deal with that, Aaron. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an existential one, right? It's, it's another yeah. reminder, you know, especially for parents sending kids off to school and seeing the, you know, looking at the trauma and the recovery for these parents in Texas that had to watch their police department stand by while this terrible massacre occurred, right? And I, this morning, was was saying to, to my partner, this is why I make a point to know my police officers in my community, to talk to them at community events so they know who my son is. And if they're not going to go in, at least they're going to let me in because I'm going in, <laughs> right? And we shouldn't have to think like that as parents in our community, that we want to look our police officers in the eye to make sure that they know who we are and that we expect them to serve and protect us fully. When we hear stories like this out of Texas, when we hear, you know, um, different stories around the country of similar incidents where not necessarily a school shooting, but, um, you know, in grocery stores, in um, in public areas that, that folks that are supposed to serve and protect us don't intervene quickly enough. So there is this generalized sense of anxiety that puts folks in this constant fight or flight state where they're looking for the emergency exits in movie theaters, you know, as a basic, um, you know, part of their experience out in the world. It, are, are we really okay with that so somebody else can carry a, a weapon of war? Is that an appropriate exchange in our society? We really have to start asking what this is costing us. Hmm. Attorney Daryl Jones, the last couple of minutes belong to you. Well, you know, I agree with, with what uh, both uh, Reverend uh, Jeanette uh, as well as Aaron Connolly have said. And, you know, the, the question uh, that is posed is, you know, where do we go from here? How do, how do we get this to stop happening in the United States? And, you know, when we look at this, we've got to take into consideration the phenomenal psychological impact that this has, not simply on the immediate families that are affected, but, by, but on the children that are watching. What is the response? And, Santina, as you were laying it out with regards to Megar Evers' children that have the psychological impact of, of, of witnessing what happened to their daughter, that have the psychological impact of having to prepare, having the psychological impact of having to be able to uh, be taught how to protect yourself because of, of a shooting or a bombing that may occur at your home. These are psychological impacts that are become deeply rooted in the individual. So when we start talking about how to uh, overcome these situations such as what's happening now at Michigan State, you know, it's, it's multi-layered. And there's a part of it that's 
has got to deal with self-control, part of it that, that deals with uh, conflict resolution. There's a part of it that deals with our mental health. There's a part of it that deals with the teaching of morality within our homes. There's a part of it that says it's got to be legislative. But there's a greater part of it, I believe, that says we've got to stop teaching hate. Because I think that underneath all of this, all of the violence, there's got to be a stem of hate, a seed of hate that has been planted to make people think that you've got to pick up a gun and end somebody's life in order for you to feel as though you have achieved something. It all stems from that seed of hate. And until we figure out how to kill that seed of hate, I think that we continue to see incidents like like we're seeing here at Michigan State University. And as we begin to uh, peel back the layers here of what went on with this 43-year-old shooter and and what caused him uh, to act out, uh, I I sense that there's going to be something uh, out of the hate. There's going to be something uh, that's going to talk about mental health. All of these things are going to be happening. And the question at the end of the day will be, will our Congress finally move? Will they get the message that they need to take action to protect our students, to protect our kids, to protect all of us that are here in society? That's the real question right now, but it's a multi-layered approach that we've got to take to this, Santita. Amen. I mean, the hate, the hate, the hate is here. Robbing bombs overseas, exploding at home, the bullying, the meanness. And you know what? Guns help you to express that. People can choke someone to death with their wounds or with their hands. What what kind of society do we want? Who do we really want to be? Let's think about that, everybody. You must think that. Beat your sword to the plowshares. You must, as John Lennon said, give peace a chance. That's all we're saying. Let's talk about giving peace a chance. Let's talk about the right and the left coming together. This weekend, Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul to um, to call for an end to the war, to call for peace in Ukraine. Back with more of the St. Peter Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. It's Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. I hope that love to you is not only a noun, but it's a verb, everybody. That's really the through line of this show today as we talk about peace, as we talk about love, as we talk about getting, not just mitigating violence, we want to end it. And we want to end it all over the world. There's economic violence, there's physical violence, there's the violence of war, there's violence of speech, there is violence. And so it's interesting and to be necessary that the right and the left are coming together this weekend in Washington, D.C. to call for peace talks and for an end to the war in Ukraine. We're going to be talking with David Swanson from the World Without War dot org in just a couple of minutes. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. What does Valentine's Day mean to you? Um, what do you think about peace talks in Ukraine? What do you think about ending the war? 
What do you think about the, pen, the pandemic profiteers and the coronavirus criminals that John Nichols will be talking about at the bottom of the hour? We've got a lot to talk about on the Santee Jackson Show, so let's get to it. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 51 degrees, scattered showers. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 41 degrees, and it will rain in the NBA. The Timberwolves, 124. The Mavericks, 121. The Magic, 100. And the Bulls, 91 in the NHL. The Panthers, 2. The Wild, 1. And Chicago will be facing off against the Canadiens, the Canadiens, just tonight. Everybody, what is happening at Michigan State University? That is the question that everyone has right now. 19,000 people on that campus, three people dead. What happened last night? Well, we've been talking about it, and I want you to, if you want to get some more information on it, you should go to... uh, WCPT820.com forward slash Santita. We just had a really full conversation about that, and I want to know what your thoughts are about about what happened at Michigan State. The 43-year-old shooter killed himself, but before he killed himself, he killed three others. Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Let us pray for the people at Michigan State University. The unidentified flying object shot down in Canadian airspace on Saturday appeared to be, quote, a small metallic balloon with a tethered payload below it, close quote, according to a Pentagon memo sent to lawmakers on Monday. The object also crossed near, quote, U.S. sensitive sites, close quote, before it was shot down. The memo explained. These are the first official details from the Pentagon on the object shot down in recent days, and we wait to find, to see what happened, everybody? Amid the escalating conflict in Ukraine, analysts say new video appears to show heavy losses for Russian armored formations. The footage suggests failures in Moscow command and tactics as Russian forces prepare for a spring offensive, according to this CNN report. But pay attention to what's happening in East Palestine. Palestine, excuse me, Ohio, uh, that train derailment. As we look at the rail workers who have been fighting for paid sick leave, well, they've got a real problem now because even the animals are falling sick and they're dying near this train derailment because, of course, this train derailment released toxins into the atmosphere in East Palestine, Ohio, and the surrounding areas. So if the animals are dying, What's going to happen to the people, everybody? They have been told to evacuate, but if you are poor, if you are middle class, if you are working class, where can you go? How can you go? What if you're in between paychecks? Think about that, everybody. Think about that. The animals are dying. Smoking chemicals from the town, um, they're everywhere. So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow um, on the Santita Jackson Show because this could become one of the worst environmental disasters um, that America has seen in more than a generation, according to many people who understand um, environmental issues. We'll be talking about that on the Santita Jackson Show tomorrow. In the meantime, everybody, you know we've been talking about financial freedom, and I want you to know about the Perks and Work Program from David Hochberg and Team Hochberg, your trusted local lenders. If you're selling your home, if you're purchasing a new home and you'd like to save thousands of dollars, and I'm sure you would like to do that, you need to call Team Hochberg, your trusted 
local lender. Team Hochberg is offering everyone, everyone their perks and work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. Now, this is how it works. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. That's thousands of dollars, everybody. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor helps you to purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Think about that. House, $100,000, $200,000, that's $1,000, $2,000 easily, everybody. Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney will reduce their fee. A couple save close, close to $9,000 using this Perks at Work program when they sold their home and when they purchased a new home. So everybody, go on. Give them a try. Call them at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. I want you to save some money. I want you to make some money. I want you to be able to get in that home. They can help you to get a program uh, together so you can buy a home. But now, you, as you can see, they can really help you to save money when you buy or sell a home. Go on, everybody. Call Team Hawkwork at 855-56-DAVID. Everybody, the left and the right are united against the Ukraine war. There will be a march this weekend. You will have Dennis Kucinich there. And Ron Paul, what are they doing? They are calling for an end to the war in Ukraine. And so uh, we are so excited to have David Swanson, who's been on this show many times. Indeed, this is he is home here. He's the director of Worlds Without War. And this is really a rage against the war machine, everybody. Um, go to warsofcrime.com, excuse me, warsofcrime.org and get some information. But we've got David Swanson with us right now, right now to talk about um, to talk about this. In fact, you've got to get his book, War is a Lie, and War is Never Just. I want to talk with you about this, about this coming together. Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich, many people would never think of them being together unless you really started listening to them. And now some people are saying, what's happening with the right and the left? Talk to us, David Swanson. Hi, Santita. Wonderful to be here. Uh, terrific show. You've got um, world beyond war. Unfortunately, every living human uh, calls it world without war, but that doesn't get you to the website. So worldbeyondwar.org uh, is how you get there. When Dennis uh, Kucinich was in Congress, you know, we had a Democrat in Congress who was willing to try to end wars. Uh, we don't have that anymore. And one of the ways he did so was to work with Republicans like Ron Paul, with whom he disagreed on millions of things, and rightly so, in my opinion, uh, but agreed on wars uh, for different reasons, different motivations, different rhetoric about it. But they would join together and and advance resolutions uh, and force debates and votes uh, on ending wars. Uh, and somehow uh, we have to manage the same thing uh, as ordinary people who aren't bound by any uh, party leadership whatsoever and are free to, to do what we choose. Uh, there, there's an ever greater, uh, perhaps greater than ever before, and rising risk of nuclear apocalypse. Uh, if that happens, if there is a nuclear war out of this war in Ukraine, 
We all die. All our disagreements die. All our ideologies, all our differences of opinion, every group and interest that we care about die. Uh, and so if we can join together with people uh, whose views on many other issues we find deeply offensive and troubling, but with whom we can agree on ending this particular war, uh, I, I think we have to do it. You know, I, I want to end every war. I want to end the the preparations for war, the dumping of our treasure into militarism. Uh, but will I stand on a stage with somebody who opposes this current war and supported the last one and will probably support the next one? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I don't think I've ever stood on a stage at a peace rally uh, where there weren't people who opposed only that particular war and with whom I disagreed on various other things. Um, but we have to we have to be able to do that and we have to try to persuade people uh, of our point of view, which we can't do if we if we refuse to go near them. It's wanting, pardon me for misstating it, world beyond war. That's that's an, that's an important distinction, though. Not without it going beyond war. We have to really imagine, we imagine a world in which we don't have war, in which we have diplomacy. I mean, how did this happen, though? I mean, because I, you know, I have found myself agreeing with Rand Paul and Ron Paul about any number of issues. Um, and when you say that in this progressive space, people become angry with you. I really do not care because my thing is my politics are based in principle. They're not personal. If I agree, if, if, you, if I can work with you to, to get children fed, I'll work with you on that. To make sure that every human being has a floor beneath which they cannot fall. I don't care where you are politically. I mean, where, where you line up in terms of your partisanship. I don't care. And when it comes to this war and all other wars, they feel that wars are unnecessary and that, and that these international incursions in which we find ourselves, not only are they costing us money, we just shouldn't be there. So how did this coming together happen? you got to help me with this one, because when I saw this, my eyes got popped. Not because I haven't heard what Ron Paul and Rand Paul have had to say, but because, you know, you're taking a, a risk, David Swanson. You know, because some people will not like you coming together. People didn't like the fact that Dennis Kucinich had a good relationship with Roger Ailes and, and Fox News. And he never moved from his, from his politics. He just went to another place where many people hold opposite views. But talk to me, how did this coming together happen? And why is it well, necessary? I don't, I don't take credit for it. I was invited early on to be one of the speakers, uh, and uh, I agreed, and I uh, talked with uh, the organization that I worked for, World Beyond War, uh, and they agreed to, to be a sponsor and support it and promote it. Um, uh, other organizations I worked for and worked with uh, said no, they wouldn't. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, consulted a little bit, advised, uh, suggested other speakers uh, or opposed other speakers, et cetera. But uh, I didn't organize it. It was organized by the People's Party and the Libertarian Party uh, getting together. Uh, in other words, critically, people who are not loyal to one of the two big political parties, uh, both of which now uh, support this war. Uh, and, you know, this is the problem. We've had moments uh, in recent decades where 
wars were labeled with uh, one party or the other. Uh, and the, the biggest you know, peace rallies we've had in the United States in recent decades uh, have been when people who, who identified with the Democratic Party thought it was okay to oppose a war and call it a Republican war. I'm talking about the Iraq war in particular, but also the, the Afghanistan and other wars. Uh, and yet when you have both political parties uh, overwhelmingly supporting a war, then you need a bigger peace movement, not a smaller one. Uh, and so we actually need people not to agree with the People's Party or to agree with the Libertarian Party, but to agree with the idea of acting on principle and putting policies first and party second. Uh, if you're for peace, if you're for funding human and environmental needs, not an endless war machine that, that brings the violence home, that, that, that gives you shootings on U.S. campuses uh, through the the weaponry and the culture and the, the veteran shooters and uh, the choice of where our dollars go, uh, then you got to get out and say so, especially when the party you think is a little bit better than the other party uh, is, is on the side of war. That's when they've got to hear from you. And, and you know, so we, we, we fundamentally have to overcome this idea that ordinary people should do what a political party in Washington tells them rather than the reverse, <laughs> rather than elected officials in Washington doing what people tell them. We're talking to David Swanson, World Beyond War, World Beyond War. Uh, this weekend in Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Memorial, there will be a gathering and then a march in which people, people on the right, on the left, in between, outside of those designations will be coming together to demand an end to the war in Ukraine. Uh, let me ask you this. Why, why do you want to see this war end? Well, I think the top reason has got to be that it has created uh, an extreme risk of nuclear apocalypse. Uh, if this isn't that everybody's uh, you know, list of top priorities to be concerned about. I, I, I need an explanation. Why not? Uh, but in addition, uh, because even if we avoid that, uh, and even if our luck holds out, uh, and all this proliferation of nuclear weapons, uh, the, the nine countries that keep building more of them, the United States storing them in six additional countries as well, uh, arguably illegally. If we survive all of that for the moment, uh, the war is still horrendously horrible and absolutely unnecessary. Uh, you know, you reported earlier on the high casualties on the Russian side. Of course, in Russia, they're reporting constantly on the high casualties on the Ukrainian side. Uh, I'm afraid both are largely correct. Uh, that's uh, Honest observers have become uh, have begun calling this a war of attrition, uh, a war of endless loss of life, uh, with no sign uh, of any potential of absolute victory for either side ever. Certainly not in the foreseeable future. Certainly not the imminent victory that both sides uh, predict for their own side. Uh, and, 
And this is impacting the world, the the financial sanctions, the blockage of trade. Uh, There are people going hungry thousands of miles away from this war because of this war. Uh, This war is fueling militarism around the world. Weapon sales are through the roof. NATO is expanding. Uh, Militaries uh, completely unrelated to the conflict are expanding in the name of this conflict. Uh, And at a time when we are in desperate need of global cooperation on refugees, on hunger, on disease epidemics, on climate and environmental collapse, we have a prevention of it. We have the the, the war creating this incredible barrier to global cooperation on anything uh, and just tearing down the rule of law. Uh, so that both sides want the other side prosecuted for its crimes, uh, and yet neither side supports international law, international treaties, the International Criminal Court. Uh, Both sides want lawless victors justice for the other, uh, which does damage to the idea of the rule of law, doesn't support it. Uh, And so it really is the single worst thing that people are doing right now, uh, and they imagine that it's necessary Uh, because in the U.S. you aren't told where the war came from or the role that the U.S. and U.K. and NATO governments have played uh, in preventing its end. Uh, The the possibility of a ceasefire and negotiated settlement were the U.S. government simply to step out of the way and stop blocking it. Uh, This is what people are kept carefully (laughs) unaware of. We're talking with Davis Swanson about this coming together this weekend. When and where will it be? And what can we expect for those of us who can be there? And can we watch on on Facebook for those of us who can't get to Washington, D.C.? What's happening this weekend? Well, there is a website, rageagainstwar.com, and it has the schedule for events in Washington, D.C., 1230 at the Lincoln Memorial, followed by a march to the White House, followed by various other activities and a day of lobbying Congress the next day. Um, And if you click on where it says resources, you also find sister rallies, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Los Angeles, California, all over the country. uh, And you can create your own and add it to the list uh, and do an event locally that's part of a national and international uh, event uh, and and, and let them know to list it on the website at rageagainstwar.com. I, I, again, I'm not the organizer. I have heard uh, that there's going to be a live stream. Uh, I can't imagine that there won't be numerous unofficial live streams if there's not one that they're promoting, but I'm sure there will be one that they're promoting so that you can watch it. I hope it will be on C-SPAN and other uh, avenues where you can get the video, but uh, that remains to be seen. Well, I won't bank on it, but I tell you what, uh, we're going to tell people about it uh, because the corporate media have not even mentioned this. I've got about a minute left. What do you want us to know? Because the corporate media have not talked about the possibility of peace. Your thoughts? It's absolutely, it's absolutely possible. Uh, we have to stop the U.S. government from working so hard against peace while blaming the Ukrainian government as the only one who's against peace. 
uh, ending the war. It's not. Uh, we need to put an end to it. It's, it's our money. It's our government. It's our policies. We can stop it. It is our money. It is our government. This government is ours. We're the ones who are allowing this, everybody. Oh, everybody. How can we reach out to you, David Swanson? How can we reach out to you? Oh, I'm at davidswanson.org, and I work for worldbeyondwar.org and various other places. Uh, and you'll see me on the list of speakers there at rageagainstwar.com. I can't wait for you to come back. You know, I just adore you. And I admire you so profoundly. David Swanson, everybody. Worldbeyondwar.org. And David Swanson, davidswanson.com. Go on to his website. Check him out and give him the support. Because we do want a world beyond war. We want peace, everybody. We're just saying give a peace now. John Nichols coming up talking about coronavirus criminals and pandemic profiteers. The end of the pandemic means that you're on the hook for everything. After you paid to have the vaccine developed, you must now pay for it while these companies are raising the cost of these vaccines and these medicines by 4,000%. How do you like that? That's what we're going to Jackson to in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show on Valentine's Day, everybody. Remember, love is love. Love is and love does. It's my godmother. God rest her soul. Yeah, she dances in heaven today. Irene Ware, one of the pioneers in for women in radio. Um, she used to say, love is. Remember, love is. Tell someone you love that you love them today. And I love all of you. I love all of you. And I feel your love every day. And I thank God for you. And I love you, Aaron Connolly, Attorney Aaron Connolly. And I love you. John Nichols uh, from The Nation magazine. Oh, my gosh, he's been in Iceland, and we've been able to talk to him, but I'm so glad that he's back stateside. It's just, I don't know. It's just a thing with me. And he's got this fantastic book that he's spoken of before, um, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers. But I had to, I said, you know, what are we going to talk about? I said, you know, John, wait, you know. We, we don't talk about your book enough, and I think that we should. And as I was talking to Erin, I said, you know, Erin's got a real heart for health care because, number one, she has that, but she also is impacted by this. Dave, you said, Dave Dowling says that your late mom was a diabetic. It can be really tough to manage, um, and it's very expensive. That's why what President Biden is doing by looking to put a cap on insulin is important. People are rationing their insulin, right? And I can only imagine what's going to happen to people as we end the declaration of the the emergency declaration on the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, what's going to happen now. Because now the cost under the emergency authorization, and I want you to go into this in detail, uh, John Nichols, the government paid. I mean, you paid, but so when I get off the plane, when I go to New York, which I still do a lot, I walk past baggage claim at LaGuardia and I go to the truck and I take a test and they let me know whether, you know, whether I'm positive or negative and that's it. Ah, but now I'm going to have to pay for it. 
Ah, now I've got to pay for these test kits. Ah, now, I've, oh, yeah, this is a big deal. In the meantime, one of these companies has raised the price of these drugs by 4,000%. Now I'm about to turn everything over to you, John. But, I mean, before I say, before that, what, let me ask Aaron Connolly. Attorney Connolly, what do you think about this? Because I know the, the, the title of his book is, is, has got to knock you out, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, because that's what we see it. Yes, we absolutely see this, and this is a, a spotlight on something that, you know, I think is going to be a, a dark part of our history when we really dig in <laughs> to uh, who got what and, and who was helped and who, who had to suffer as well, right? So, um the practical implications of, of this for folks with chronic illness and who have now long COVID, who are new to the disability universe, right? And having a disability is like having an extra job in this country. Our insurance companies, our hospital systems, and our um, prescription systems don't always work together. And when you have a chronic illness and are completely dependent on a medication or a treatment for your lifestyle or your life, like I am, I'm a type 1 diabetic, require insulin, which is the sixth most expensive liquid in the world, um, and is price gouged, right? We heard President Biden reference it in the State of the Union address. And for folks that are, um, you know, and I will say also diabetes is on the rise. For folks who have um, gone through a tough uh, case of COVID, for folks who have long COVID, they're they're popping up uh, with more autoimmune diseases like diabetes, right? And that complicates existing conditions with the heart, with the kidneys, with all sorts of things. So um, as a public health, uh, you know, monitoring system, we need to take that seriously. Ending these protections does a lot of practical things to limit access to folks, especially folks new to this disability uh, system, right? So what we've had is automatic enrollment for Medicaid. That now ends. Folks have to navigate a confusing process where they have to resubmit paperwork, financial records. Um, folks who are new to this system can often get overwhelmed and um, don't participate fully and even get their full benefits, right? So that's going to be... Uh, uh, one part of it. Um, the second part of it is, a, is the cost associated with staying safe from COVID-19, as you mentioned, for folks who aren't lucky enough to have affordable insurance in this country, those tests are going to be cost prohibitive. And if, um, you know, that puts the rest of those folks and all of us at great risk. But, um, you know, thank you for having me on to reference the unique um, impact on the disability community and those who require uh, medication and more access and openness to our system. And this will essentially shut it down or at least at least close it a little bit. Thank you, Attorney Connolly. Stay right there because, you know, uh, John Nichols, got to get his book, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers, because that's really what it is. The fact that the president has to put a cap on insulin, the fact that people are rationing insulin or they're just going without it because they cannot afford it, is, that's criminal. And it's because it's pro profiteering is at the base of it. But that is what I fear is going to happen with COVID, because as she mentioned Long COVID is something that is plaguing a lot of people. People are not able to get back to work, John. And this, 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 these medicines are going to be out of reach for a lot of people. John, take it away. 
Well, it's, it's great to be on, and it's great to be on with Aaron, who does exactly what we should do in all of these discussions, which is to ground our discussion not in, you know, healthcare corporation statistics or government numbers, uh, which we'll use some of in a moment, but in uh, the human side of this, the fact that human beings in the United States who get sick end up uh, having to struggle. And it isn't just with illness. It's with uh, a system that does not deliver for them, that does not, you know, kind of remove the barriers to care and make sure that people get what they need. In fact, our healthcare system too frequently makes it harder to get care. And it causes a tremendous number of people to just decide that they're not going to do it, um, to, to give up on it because uh, they, they think the costs will be exorbitant. They think that if they, you know, start a regimen of care that they'll end up, you know, running out of insurance if they have it and and potentially ending up bankrupt. This is this is a, a huge reality in the United States that goes across the healthcare system. It's why we should have a single payer Medicare for all healthcare system in the United States. We should have had that before COVID came. When COVID came we should have recognized immediately that this was an overwhelming challenge and that the proper response was to make healthcare a right to make sure that it is available to people, uh, not after they pay, but at the point of their need. And to some extent, intriguingly enough, in the early stages of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, we did start to respond in that way. We started to recognize that you couldn't provide the level of care to the now, you know, 103 million uh, people in the U.S. or 103 million cases of uh, coronavirus. Um, we couldn't, you know, stem the, the, the death toll. Uh, we couldn't stem the long COVID toll. We couldn't deal with all of the challenges unless we made health care readily available. Right. If we, we got it to people when they needed it and we didn't worry about, you know, a lot of the economic barriers. Yes, there's a cost to that. But that's a cost that other countries around the world bear with an understanding that it's, it's better systemically to get the care to people when they need it. So early on in the United States, we did a couple of things. And this was bipartisan, by the way, Republicans and Democrats agreeing that, you know, money would be poured into research that would try to find vaccines. And in fact, um, the vaccines that were developed were developed with tremendous amounts of public support with, you know, the, the government paying for research and with uh, researchers in public institutions, you know, figuring out how to deal with things. Then we also said that when those vaccines become available and when the tests are developed, we're going to make sure that people can get them for free. Right. And that's as it should be. I mean, you want to know whether people have a virus that can be easily spread. And so you want the testing to be free. You want it to be available to people um, in every circumstance ubiquitously. So it's not not something that that is challenging to get. And then if um, once you've got a vaccine, if people want that vaccine, you want to make sure that they can get it right Um, without running up costs and that they can test as much as they need, that they can get the care that they need. It's a a simple model. Early on in COVID, we did quite a bit of that. Not as much as we should have, of course, but quite a bit. And that was important because it was a way of dealing with a public health crisis. Well, the fact of the matter is now 
as both parties in Washington seem to want to forget about COVID to say, well, it's over with and, you know, it's done with, it's, it's gone. Um, you know, they're starting to, to take away those protections, take away those guarantees of uh, easy access to testing, easy access to vaccines at, at no cost or at little cost if, if need be. Um, the problem is we still have a lot of people getting sick um, on a daily basis. You know, many days we have, you know, thousands of people that, you know, get sick, tens of thousands or more, and we have thousands that die. And so this disease hasn't gone away. It is true. Our society is adjusting to it and getting better at dealing with it. But now it's becoming like a lot of challenges. Um, And instead of uh, taking away protections for people to get free access to testing, free vaccines, the and the care that they need, we should be saying, no, this is this is something that's going to be a part of our lives potentially for a long time. Let's make sure that people get care as a right. And then if we're going to do that with um, coronavirus, with the, the pandemic uh, and its play out, then why don't we do it with all of the diseases that people have, with all of the health challenges that people have? Why don't we move to a single payer system that takes the profit out of this process and puts those profits back into extending care? The pharmaceutical companies have made massive profits in the tens of billions of dollars. At one point, about a year and a half into the pandemic, the pharmaceutical companies were making $1,000 a minute. I'm sorry, $1,000 a second. $60,000 a minute, something in the range of $90 million a day. Um, And it was piling up. These are, you know, huge revenues, huge profits. And um, they're continuing to make massive profits. Now they want to make more. And that's simply not the way it should operate. The way it should operate in this country is we should negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies set fair and reasonable prices, the same as in Canada and in other countries around the world. And then the government should make sure that people have access to vaccines, to medicines, to insulin. I I understand the $35 cap. I think it's good. But the fact of the matter is there shouldn't be, I mean, even the $35 is, is too much the way it should operate. You know, you see, let me just say, when I see these, and I'm so glad that you and Aaron framed it this way, these are protections that were put in place with respect to COVID. And so it enabled you to get the test kits, the treatments, and the vaccines. Your tax dollars had already paid for them. So when you went to get them, you didn't have to pay. That's about to be over. And that's what rankles me. That, and you're right, $35, that the fact, that's a cap, that's great, but that's too much. Insulin doesn't cost that much to make, John. The, I mean, these vaccines, these, it, they don't cost that much to make, and then they're blocking us from other treatments, too. It's too much. It is criminal. These are coronavirus criminals, and they are pandemic profiteers, and they need to be called out. Even your senator, Ron Johnson, He's got some issues, and I really wish Mandela Bonds had won. That having been said, I appreciated the hearings. I don't have to like the rest of his politics. But let's ask some basic questions about this thing, because it's costing us too much money. People are not going to go to work, John. Mm-hmm. 
And they'll know they're going to be, they'll know that they're sick, but they will know I can't afford, I barely got to work today. I can't afford to, I can't afford treatment. That's what's going to happen. And you know what else is going to happen? They're going to spread it. Not because they want to. They're trying to survive too, John. This is horrible. And the fact that we don't have a universal single payer system with an airborne disease and a pandemic. You mean to tell me they couldn't figure that out? John, come on. This is awful. That's exactly right. You're getting to the heart of the matter here. And the fact is that early on when we were overwhelmed by this disease, when we were really, you know, traumatized, right, as a country, and and we weren't alone. Countries around the world were struggling to deal with it. The immediate response was that the government, which is constituted by us, which we elect, which um, we pay taxes to, that the government needed to step up and do major things to make sure that um, that people got the care they needed so that, that at, at our best we could constrain the spread of the disease and also at our best we could figure out ways to respond to it with a variety of medications, with different vaccinations, with other things, with what was, what was needed and what was necessary. And, um, and again, Republicans and Democrats largely agreed on that. Now, they would very quickly start fighting with each other, and that's typical of Washington. But it's important to recognize our initial response. Our initial response as a society was healthcare should be readily available and it shouldn't cost you money, right? We knew that mm-hmm. in that, that moment. What we fail to recognize is that for people who do have serious ailments, who have serious illnesses, who have serious healthcare challenges, Every day is a pandemic day, right? They're, yeah. they're frightened that their their disease may overtake them. Um, they're frightened that they may come into contact with their immunocompromised. Uh, they may come into contact with a disease, with uh, a challenge that, that could kill them or at least make them terribly sick. And so the fact is that if we recognize how many people in our in our country have long-term ailments, have chronic diseases, have faced real health care challenges, it adds up to an astronomical number. And unfortunately, it also adds up to astronomical profiteering by pharmaceutical companies, by the healthcare industry. And we've just got to recognize that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense as a society. And so we ought to do what, what um, you know, Franklin Roosevelt talked about doing back in the 1940s, and that is guaranteeing health care as a right. We ought to recognize that what Canada has done, what countries in Europe have done, not always perfectly, often with challenges, but they have recognized health care as a right. And they have sought to make sure that when you get sick, when you have need, you get care. And also, importantly, when you face a, uh, you know, a societal spread of disease, right, something that's, that's, that's widespread, that there is a, a public health response, right? And that public health response is not just about treating disease. It's also about preventing disease. And it goes beyond, you know, particular ailments to a broader sense that as a society, we can, with disease prevention, uh, again, made available to people, at the point of need, not at the point of payment. Uh, if we can do health, you know, challenge prevention, uh, we end up in a situation as a society where we will all be healthier and healthcare will cost us less, right? We will have less healthcare costs if we put money up front 
into making sure that people don't get sick. And if they get a little bit sick, we treat them early on rather than waiting until they, the illness is so overwhelming that, yes, we may be able to treat it, but it will cost a fortune to do so. We're talking with John Nichols, national correspondent for The Nation magazine, fresh off of a trip to Iceland. He is, I can't wait to see what, to read what you write about that trip. Um, but we're talking about the end of the pandemic. May 11th is the date. And for many people, the COVID test kits are going to cost you money now. The treatments are going to cost you money. Vaccines are going to cost you money. Attorney Aaron Connolly, family on this show, said, wait a minute, what about long COVID? I mean, John, when you start mm-hmm. thinking about that, which is, as she properly framed it, a disability. Many people have not been able to go back to work, John. And yeah. I just, and then you, then you see these raising the cost of these medicines by up to 4,000%, and then some, there are, they have, they're, there have been no limits placed upon them, and they've not been investigated. Even as some of these CEOs have said, well, you know, there were some mistakes that we made with the medicines, the efficacy they have questioned. I mean, but we're blocked from talking about it because it really is, is censorship. It's a terrible thing. But the fact that these protections are being taken from us, I just think about these frontline workers who had to go to work, John, without PPE. These folks can't afford this. I mean, goodness, you can't even with great insurance, you get a bill if if you get ill. And we say that we value our our frontline workers, right? We say that we value our nurses. We say that we value um, all the people uh, in healthcare and in other industries that, that are there when we need them. And yet, um, just as we are seeing, you know, many of the protections that were put in place at the start of the pandemic to make sure that people could get the care they need kind of dissipating and being taken away, uh, we've also seen that respect for frontline workers diminished. And instead of saying, yeah, you do something that's essential, you need fair pay so that nobody works 40 hours a week and still lives in poverty so that um, those who provide us with basic care and and meet our basic needs um, can themselves remain safe and healthy and prosperous, right? That they can live a good life. Um, You know, we're, we're, uh, we're making them uh, jump through hoops to get the basic pay, the basic benefits, the basic protections that they need. Again, with a national health care plan, with a single-payer Medicare for All plan, which is, by the way, something akin to what your father talked about when he was running for president in uh, 1984 and 1988. This isn't a new idea. Um, With such a program, uh, you begin to assure not just that people who need care get it, but that people who work in healthcare industries, nurses, uh, hospital attendants, you know, ambulance drivers, all these people, that they too are protected and that they too get a fair level of compensation so that they don't give up on it. So they don't just say, oh, this is overwhelming. And one last thing as regards long COVID, and I have relatives who've, uh, who've suffered from some of this and in-laws, and I can tell you it's severe. It does, it does put people in a position where it's very difficult for them to work where it's very difficult for them to maintain, you know, their, their basic lives in the ways that they had before. 
And again, a healthcare system that really works recognizes that as well as a system that has long-term disability. So the people who do end up in a difficult situation aren't uh, not only sick, but also impoverished. But let me ask you this, but let me ask you this before you go. I've got a couple of minutes and they belong to you. What do you conclude in your book, Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers? Well, look, one of the things that I, I suggest early on is that there has to be um, an accountability, particularly with these drug companies. We have to look at them in a serious way. There should be hearings. There should be investigations. We should figure out um, whether there has been a level of profiteering that goes too far. And we should recognize that um, when Franklin Roosevelt was president in the 1930s, when we were facing the Great Depression and then World War II, um, Roosevelt and the Congress imposed a, a 90% excess profits tax, over 90%. What they said was that you can make your profits, but if you are making profits above what you used to make during this crisis, we're going to tax you at a very, very high level because we don't want you profiteering. And that worked. America didn't fall apart. America got stronger because it held corporations to account. We should do that now. Coronavirus criminals and pandemic profiteers get the book. It is all of that in a bag of chips. I love you, John Nichols. Happy Valentine's Day to you, your beautiful wife, and your beautiful family. Attorney Erin Connolly, my dear sister, I love you, girl. Happy Valentine's Day. I love all of my morning stars and everybody within the sound of my voice and beyond. Happy Valentine's Day. And remember, love is a noun and love is a verb. It is a word of action. When you love someone, tell them that you love them. Tell them that you love them. Love is what love does. Love is what love does. Tell someone that you love. You might not even like them, but tell them that you love them today. That's really important. You should do it every day, but you should do it especially today. Spread the love, everybody. Let's have peace. Let's end war. Let's create a floor beneath which, beneath which no human being can fall. Let's swing open wide the gates of opportunity so that we can all become who God has helped you to be. That, to me, is the real Valentine's Day treat. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day to my board operator. Love my board operator. Love all of you. Love my family. WCPT and AM 950 Radio. God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.